The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. You can join us live Saturday nights at 6 p.m., Sunday mornings at 9, 10.30, or 12, or you can join us online at cityrev.org. Well, so glad that you have joined us here at uh, City Rev today. Glad that you're here with us this weekend, and we are going to jump in today into a brand new series. The series is called The Power of Awe. And uh, so we're going to jump into that in, in here in just a second. And um, uh, we're going to be looking at, in the book of Psalms. But before we do that, I just wanted to share with you guys uh, something I've been thinking about recently. I have been um, thinking about, and I've actually been talking with Rebecca uh, I've been thinking about maybe it's time to get a new mattress. And the mattress we've had, it's, it's pretty old. And, and uh, the good side is my side of the mattress is like perfectly concave with my body. Okay, so it kind of fits my body. So that's the positive. Um, on the downside, um, in the morning, if I get up before Rebecca, I'm, I'm trying to get out of bed. And my side, the mattress creaks. So as I'm trying to get out and not wake her up, it creaks. And then I try and move a little bit more and it creaks and I'm trying to ooze off my side. Okay, so it's just, it, my side is creaky. It's, it's not a good thing. And so I was thinking about, okay, maybe we should get a new mattress. And then here's what I, I was calculating. Like, you know, honestly, a mattress, that's not the most fun expense. Okay, it's not like buying like a new TV. Like buying a new TV is fun. Buying a mattress, it's like, ah, you know, it's not the most fun thing to buy. But then I was thinking, okay, but let me just do the math here. And I was thinking, okay, if I sleep on this mattress seven hours a day, and there's 365 days a year, that means every year I am spending 15 weeks on that one single surface, okay? I'm spending 15 weeks on that one surface. That is more than a third of the entire year. And I'm realizing there is no surface. There's no chair. There's no piece of carpet. There's no piece of flooring that I spend as much time on as that mattress. And I began to think about how just how I sleep affects so much of my life, okay? Like if I don't sleep well, my brain doesn't work as well. If I don't sleep well, like, I could be grumpy, okay? I am grumpy when I don't sleep well. If I'm grumpy, then I'm, like, a little short with my kids, and I'm grumpy with my kids. If I'm grumpy with my kids, they may grow up thinking I'm a mean dad. If, that's the, if they grow up thinking I'm a mean dad, then they will probably be mean parents when they, when they get older. And then their kids will see mean parents. They'll make them mean parents. And I realize there are generations of Barneses that are at stake, depending on whether or not I get a new mattress. And so... So um, I was thinking about how that one thing, I tell you that whole story, that one thing, that one decision can affect so much of the quality of my life. Just one purchase, just one aspect of my life can affect so much of the quality of my life. And what we're looking at in this series and in this particular part of the Bible, we're looking at two Psalms and these two Psalms, Psalm 111 and 112, these two Psalms speak about one thing in our life. One thing in our life that affects our overall quality of life. It's one thing. Now, you're probably saying, you're just going to say Jesus. Jesus affects everything, every quality of your life. Okay, yes, that's true. But it gets even more specific. There is one specific thing that affects our quality of life. And I'm talking about like tangibly the act, our actual life. It affects the, the very fabric of our life. And so I want to show you what this says. Now here's how this is going to work. I want to dig into Psalm 112. 
But the psalm right before that, Psalm 111, lays the whole foundation. And we're going to look at these two psalms throughout this series. And so I want to read over the entire Psalm 11. They're not long. Psalm 111, we're going to read through that entire psalm. I want you to hear that because that lays the foundation for, this, for uh, all of Psalm 112. So let's read through all of Psalm 111. Actually, Rebecca, can you read through all of Psalm 111? And as Rebecca reads this, just hear these words, powerful words about, specifically about God. Listen to Psalm 111. Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his power to the pe- he's shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Now, there's so many beautiful things in this psalm, but let's just kind of recap the basic idea here. I mean, here's some of the things it says. It opens with this phrase, praise the Lord, which the original Hebrew word for that is the word hallelujah. It's, that's the Hebrew word there. So it starts with hallelujah. And it says, all, it just goes over all of the incredible things of the Lord. It talks about the Lord's splendor, his majesty. It talks about his wondrous works. It talks about how the, his, the greatness of his works. It talks about how he provides for his children, provides for us. It talks about how he shows his power to us. It talks about, um, it, so it's talking about his beauty and his splendor, his majesty. It talks about his powerful works and talks about how he provides with faithfulness and justice. It talks about how all of his laws, his precepts, all of his concepts are trustworthy. It talks about all of these things and it gets to the end and I don't know if you noticed when Rebecca read that at the end, it says, holy and awesome is he. It ended with those two words kind of summarizing the whole thing. Holy and awesome. In other words, of all of these attributes of God, it's summarized like this. God is awesome. He defines awesomeness. Everything he does is awesome. He just, he turns everything he does, everything he, he made, everything he teaches, all of his laws, everything about God. He's reproducing awesomeness. God is awesome. And no matter which side you are, what, what types of things you appreciate, no matter what types of things you might say or we might say, I, I think that is awesome, God is the source of it. So, for example, um, uh, my two kids, our two kids, we have three, but our older two, um, they're interested in different things. So my daughter, she is interested in all things that are glittery and sparkly. So my daughter, she loves coloring, and even her crayons are like sparkle crayons, okay? So she loves coloring beautiful pictures. She's got sparkly crayons. She's got things that have sequins and glitter. She likes, she likes unicorns, okay? So she likes all things that are beautiful and sparkly. My son, who's five, her younger brother, he likes all things that are powerful and tough. So he doesn't just like trucks. He likes monster trucks, 
He doesn't just like cars, okay? He likes fast cars, okay? He, he likes things that are tough and strong and things that are fast. He came up to me uh, a couple weeks ago and says, hey, Dad, you want to just go punch each other? Okay, like he just wants tough things, all right? And I want you to look at what this, this verse, what this chapter describes. It says God is awesome in his beauty. He's awesome in his splendor, in his majesty. He's awesome in, in his, wonders, his wonders. But then it says he's awesome in his power, the works of Zan. He's great and mighty. It's both sides. Whatever it is that you find is awesome. Whatever it is that we find to be awesome, it finds its source in God. So maybe you say, like, I, I love a sports car because it's, it's, the, it's the marriage of power. It's got horsepower and it looks beautiful like the lines on a sports car. The beauty and awesome that you appreciate that, if you like a sports car, that is a fraction of the awesomeness of God. If I'm impressed by a sports car, I should be floored by God. If, I'm, if someone, if you're watching and you're drawn to fashion, you're like, I, I'm drawn to, to fashion and the, the latest styles or maybe innovation. I love the latest technology. And, and if your mind, if God is this old man who's behind the times, man, you've got to update your view of who God is. He is the ultimate creator. There is no trend, there's no innovation, there's no style that God does not already know is coming. And in fact, he made the one and invented the being, inspired that person to make it. God is trendier than you are. He is the edge of all that is beautiful and, and innovative. Whatever we find awesome in this world should inspire us to understand who the author of awesome is. And if we find anything in this world incredible or awesome, we should be, our minds should be blown by who God is. This whole chapter talks about the awesomeness of God. And then I don't know if you caught the last verse. It then, it's talking about God, it's talking about God. And then it talks about us. And in the last verse of 111, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now it's turning its attention to us. And what's interesting is the phrase, the fear of the Lord, that is the same word as awesome. The word for fear is the same word root as awesome. So in other words, it's saying, God is awesome. Everything that's awesome comes from him. And then he says, and those who are awestruck by God, that's the beginning of wisdom. It's the same word for awe. It could be translated as awestruck. In fact, I think probably for our culture, that might be even a more helpful translation because when we hear fear of the Lord, it's not talking about being terrified by God. It's talking of having an awe for who God is. So it's being awestruck. It's saying the foundation of all wisdom is being awestruck by God. It gives soaring language to how awesome he is. And then it says we should be uh, awestruck by God. That is the foundation of wisdom. Now here's what's so beautiful about 111 as poetry. It starts with this first word, hallelujah. And then it has 22 lines all the way through it. And each one of those lines corresponds with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's an acrostic. So the first word of each line starts with a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Aleph. The first letter of the first word of the first line starts with Aleph. The second line 
The first word starts with bait because that's the second letter and then gimel and then dalet. It goes all the way through. So it's 22 lines. They each start with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's an acrostic. Okay. That then is the beauty of Psalm 111 and that leads us to this next psalm, Psalm 112. And we're just going to look at the first two verses, but we had to get the foundation of Psalm 111. These two psalms, Psalm 111 and Psalm 112, these two psalms go together. They're a set. Psalm 112, you'll notice, is very similar. It starts with the word hallelujah and then has 22 lines. Each one also corresponds with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So you can take these two psalms and you, and you can read them you know, down in order. So you can read through Psalm 111 and then read through Psalm 112, but you can also put them side by side. And as you look at this line, there's some interesting um, correspondence in the corresponding line in Psalm 112, and it, from 111 to 112, and it adds some richness there. And so we're going to just look at a couple verses and show you how this plays out. So let's look at, we've gotten the foundation, Psalm 111, God is awesome, and those who are awestruck have found the beginning of wisdom, the foundation to build their lives on. Let's move into Psalm 112 and just look at the first couple verses. Psalm 112 verse 1. Praise the Lord. So it starts with the word hallelujah again. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. So it starts off, these are just the first two lines. It starts hallelujah, and then it says, blessed, the, blessed is the man who fears the Lord and they, who gr greatly delights in his commands. Once again, we have um, the word hallelujah. Now, here's what we see here. This word hallelujah represents kind of a declaration. It's a shout of praise. It means praise Lord. It's a shout of praise. And here's what I want you to think about. Um, praise is really a reflex, in, in all of life. Praise is a reflex. I was on uh, the ESPN app um, recently and there was a video showing the top 10 moments all time in all NBA championship series. So the top 10 moments of all the NBA championships throughout history. Of course, Ray Allen's three-pointer to seal game six was in there. I, I had to just pause it and just take a moment, collect myself after it, okay? And it wasn't as high, my one complaint to ESPN executives, if you're listening, is that wasn't as highly rated as I think it should have been, but we'll leave that for a separate, separate argument. But here's what was consistent in all of these top 10 moments. They're all incredible. I mean, unbelievable moments in the NBA Finals. But the, the, the one thing that was consistent in all of them is the crowd lost their minds. When that moment happened, it was immediate and instinctual pandemonium. No one had to say, you know what, I should cheer. This would be a moment I think I should stop. I took some notes ahead of time. How do I conduct myself during the NBA playoffs? Cheer when they score a point. No one had to do that. Praise is a reflex. When you see something incredible, something awesome, your reflex is to praise. Now, sometimes praise is a discipline. You have to remind yourself to praise. There are times when my child will construct something, like maybe they will color a picture and they bring it and show it to me and I have no idea what it is, but I'm going to praise them. The praise is a discipline, okay? I'm like, hmm, how creative. What is it? 
oh, okay, it's the sea. I mean, that's beautiful, okay? And the problem is I'm looking at it and I'm trying to find what's awesome about it. So this is talking about hallelujah, praising the Lord should be an instinct. It should be an overflow. If it is not, that probably means we do not understand how awesome God is. If we're truly awesome, because the problem's not the object of our, of our praise. God is mind-blowing. The problem is maybe our maturity or clarity as to who he is. This is pouring out of, of a hallelujah. That's why City Rev, we want to be a church that has vibrant worship and singing and praising where we're clapping and cheering and singing and raising hands, all the things that scripture talks about. We want to do that because we want to have a mature view of how awesome God is and we want that overflowing. It starts with hallelujah. Then it says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. And once again, we have that word awestruck. In other words, the person who is awestruck by God, their life is blessed. Now let's just clarify our terms. We don't mean, we use blessed like when somebody sneezes, right? Or in the South, not South Florida, they'll say, bless your heart. Which by the way, I'm not sure is a good thing when they say that to you, okay? I'm not sure that that's actually a positive. We use blessed in kind of a very empty way. This is talking about very tangibly, your life goes better. You will be blessed. The tangible parts of your life will be thriving. In other words, for those who are awestruck your, by God, your life will thrive. Okay, let's get the context here. Psalm 111 tells us all the ways that God is awesome. It says those who are then awestruck by his awesomeness. They're struck with awe by his awesomeness. That is the foundation of all wisdom. And then it moves into Psalm 112. It's obviously a parallel. And it says, blessed. The life of the person who is awestruck will be blessed. And then it's going to spend the rest of Psalm 112 explaining how our lives will specifically be better and be thriving if we're awestruck by God. The first thing it says is we delight in his commandments. Line two. So blessed is the man who's struck by awe. Blessed is the person who's awestruck by God. Line two is we will delight in his commandments. I know a lot of Christians, and I've felt like this in my life, who are willing to follow God's commands. Willing to handle relationships the way that God tells us to handle relationships. Willing to handle our sexuality the way God wants us to handle our sexuality. Willing to handle finances. Willing to handle priorities. Willing to handle time. They don't necessarily want to, but they're willing to. Unless maybe it gets really, really hard and then they say, I just can't do this. But when we're awestruck by God, what this is saying, when we're awestruck by God, we delight in his commands. Think about it. If all he does is awesome, then his ways of how I handle my life, that's going to be, it's going to be awesome. Why, if I'm awestruck by God, why would I not handle my life the way he wants me to handle my life? If someone who's awestruck is saying, no, I want to handle my life the way you want me to handle my life, God. Okay, that, that's kind of a spiritual part of being 
awestruck by God. But let's look at a couple other ways because it's making this case that we'll be blessed. Let's look at a couple other ways. Here's verse 2. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. So there's the next two lines. The person who is awestruck, it says his offspring will be mighty in the land. The first time I read this, I remember I just stopped reading and I said, Lord God, please. Boy, that is the desire of my heart. That my children will be strong and solid and mighty and unmovable in their, in their foundation of who you are. I so badly want my kids to be strong in the Lord. And I just stopped and I was like, I've got to figure out what this is saying. It's saying the person who is awestruck by God, that affects their kids. That person's kids will be mighty. How does this play out? Well, imagine if there are kids that are growing up in, in, in my home, in our homes, and my life is marked by this overflowing praise, this overflowing awe for God. I mean, it's coming out of my pores. And, and this, this delight in his ways, it's not just like I'm willing to do his commands or I sometimes do his commands. I want to do things his way. If that's the context my kids grow up in, that is going to imprint their life. There's this principle of leadership we talk about here at City Rev all the time. We talk about how you can teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. And that is true most potently when it comes to parenting. You can teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. We have a rule with our kids that um, we don't say the word gosh. So we don't say, oh my gosh. We say, oh my goodness. Now, I don't really have, don't tell my kids this, I don't have a big problem with the word gosh, but I want them to learn the discipline of, of what they say on a much safer one. I don't want to get right up to the line and teach. I want them to have like a safe zone to learn controlling uh, their, their words. So just recently, um, earlier this week, I heard my son, um, he was playing with his toys, and I heard him say, oh my gosh. And I said, um, hey buddy, remember we say, oh my goodness. And then he said this to me, and he said this just with just this genuine, just inquisitive heart. He was very respectful, but he said, hey, Daddy, how come we're not allowed to say, oh, my gosh, when you say it all the time? <laughs> to which I said, hey, bud, want a cookie? Here you go. I've got a cookie for you, okay? Let's change the subject and move along very quickly, okay? The principle is... You can teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are, okay? And if who you are is someone that is oozing awe for God, and you're just oozing praise for God because you have such a clear, mature view of who God is, he just, who God is just perpetually blows your mind, okay? If you have that oozing out of your pores, and if you have a genuine delight for his laws, that is going to imprint your kids, it's going to affect your kids. But it doesn't just affect your kids. It says that that generation will be affected. So here's, imagine this. If each one of us go into our spheres of life and each one of us are pouring out praise to God, just that's our life. We just love God. We just love, just, we're just awestruck by him all the time, aware of how wonderful he is. We just have that oozing out of us and we delight in his laws. That's going to affect our spheres. It's going to most affect our kids, but it's going to affect our, our extended family, 
It's going to have an effect and an imprint on our neighborhoods. It's going to have an effect on our jobs. It's going to have an effect on, on our friend group. And if all of us, church, are doing that in all of our spheres, we are going to influence this generation in this city. See, when we have, when we have an, we're awestruck by God, it influences the people around us, our kids, our, our workplaces, our communities. It influences our city. Now, you might be saying, okay, all right, I, I'm tracking with you. You know, being awestruck, you know, it affects your life. Okay. We're going to read one more verse because we're making the case that being awestruck is a blessing in your life. And this verse, this is where it gets interesting. One more verse and we're going to pause. Look what it says. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. You're saying, okay, now I'm listening. Okay, what is that now? What's that thing about awestruck? Okay, something I, I wasn't paying attention. You said awestruck, now I'm writing notes, okay? It says, for the person that is awestruck, wealth and riches are in that person's house. Now, how does that work? You're saying, I'm listening. I'm all ears now. How does that work? Well, let's peel back these layers. We're going to start on the most basic surface layer, okay? If I'm awestruck and I'm delighting in his commands, think of some of the things that are going to mark my life. Think of how I'm going to be as an employee. Think of how I'm going to be as a leader, as a manager. Think of how I'm going to be as a business owner, as a branch manager, or, a, or overseeing a territory, someone who sets culture. Think of how I'm going to be. Well, you know, I'll probably follow the Ten Commandments, and one of those is thou shalt not lie. Okay, so if I delight in God's commands, then I'm going to live a life of integrity. Well, I can tell you, if you live a life of integrity, you'll be a very valuable employee because every employer wants to have an employee that has integrity. In fact, every customer wants to be able to trust that company. So what if it's not just integrity? What if we take it a step further? What if you as an employee, you as a boss, you as a leader, you as a company are not just have integrity, but you're dependable? Because you've read the verse in the Bible that says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And so now you as a company are, are known for having integrity and being dependable. Man, you're already way ahead of the curve. I want to do business with a company that has integrity and is dependable. But let's take it a step further. Maybe you've read Colossians 3.23 and you've read the, the verse that says, man, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as if working for the Lord, not men. That means every project you do, every product you put out, you're doing it as if you're presenting it to God, not a boss or not a customer or not a client. So in other words, you're committed to excellence. So now we're talking, you're an employee or you're a business and you have integrity, you're dependable, and you're excellent. And on top of that, you have strong work ethic because you've read the Proverbs about all the warnings to the sluggard, like go to the ant, O oh sluggard, and you're, you're not lazy, you're a hard worker. So you are now have integrity, you're dependable, you have, you're committed to excellence, you're a hard worker, and you're humble because you've read that God draws close to the humble, but he opposes the proud. So now you're learning, because you're humble, you're learning how you can do things better, so you're getting even more and more excellent. And on top of that, you're a good leader because you watched and you've read how Jesus went to his disciples and he washed their feet, and then he looked to his disciples and said, you go do the same thing. So now you lead as a leader, not to dominate the people that follow you, but you serve them. That's the kind of leader everyone wants to follow. And on top of that, you've read 1 Corinthians 13 that says you can have a lot of things, but if you don't have love, you've got nothing. So now you're people focused. I mean, just think about just a few of those biblical things. Man, you release those in your life, 
You're a hard worker that's dependable, has integrity, committed to excellence, humble, servant leader. And if people focused, you love people, you're going to do well. You set that culture in your company, your company is going to do well. I mean, just the surface level, I mean, you're all struck by God and you love his ways. You release those in your life. I mean, God's telling you how to thrive. You release those in your life, man, you're going to thrive. You're going to do well. Let's peel back a layer, okay? Let's go down another layer. This is in response to the way that God's promises to Moses, his covenant, the old covenant that he set with Moses on Mount Sinai worked. And we talked about this a little bit last week. His promises were, if you obey me, if you do my commands, then your crops, you'll have a good harvest, your flocks will be fruitful, you'll thrive. That was the promise. And unfortunately, generation after generation, the people of Israel, they struggled to follow God's laws. And so they never experienced, very rarely did they experience God's full blessing of truly thriving. And so Jesus came and he established a new covenant because their righteousness, they could never be righteous enough to fully get God's favor and acceptance. So what Jesus did, the Son of God, he came down to earth And he did what no one else could do. He lived that perfect righteousness following all the laws of God. He had the full favor of God. And because he was sinless, he dies on the cross. And because he's the son of God, he's God in the flesh, he can die not just for one other person, but for all of us. And so then God takes all of our unrighteousness, puts it on Jesus so we're washed clean. But then he takes all of the righteousness of Jesus and places it on us. So the new covenant is, if we have said to Jesus, I can't, I, I can't be good enough to be saved. I need a, a savior, and all of us do. He turns that covenant on its head, and he says, I am now going to treat you like you have the righteousness of God. He's front-loading the, the blessing. He's treating us like we have the righteousness of Jesus. And he says, I'm going to work in your life with all good things in your life. And, and he treats us as if we have the righteousness of Christ. And he's calling us that our lives may match who he's already declared us to be. And because of Jesus, there's no condemnation. And he works all things together for our good. So he's working in our life with all that blessing because of Jesus' righteousness. Does this make sense? Now you say, okay, but wait a minute. <laughs> that may be true. But I'm not seeing all the riches and wealth in my life. I mean, I like the idea of flipping the covenant, you know, on its head. And because of Jesus, I get all that good stuff. But I'm lacking a little bit in the, in the riches and the wealth. Well, it's because God is doing something even greater. Let's just dial this down one more layer. And then we're going to zoom out on these passages. But let's just one more layer. Let's peel back the layer. What is all the pursuit of riches and wealth? I mean, what, what is that really after? It's actually wired into our framing documents as a country. It's the pursuit of happiness. We as a culture are in the pursuit of happiness. And so we go after things that we think are going to make us happy. That's why we tend to be a materialistic culture. But what's really under that, it's not the thing itself it's how that thing makes us feel. And that, we know that to be true. I mean, just imagine this. If a genie appeared to you and said, okay, I'm going to give you one of two options. I'm either going to make you 
more wealthy. I'm going to update your finances. I'm going to increase your bank account. I'm going to you know, update your car, give you a bigger house, nicer wardrobe, nicer stuff. I'll give you much better stuff. But then I'm also going to the consequences. I'm going to lower your happiness and you'll be perpetually strained in all your relationships. That's option one. Option two, I'm going to lower your finances. I'm going to downsize your home. I'm going to downgrade your car and your wardrobe. You'll have less stuff, but I guarantee I will increase your happiness. You'll be perpetually soaring with happiness and all of your relationships will thrive. Is it even a contest of which you would take? Of course you'd take the happiness, not the stuff. So, so how does this work? I have an illustration here and I have these two things here. So... Um, I've got a fire pit um, that sometimes I, I drag out and pretty much we take our lives in our hands every time I try and light a fire, okay? And so you, um, I usually use two things. Of course, you have to have a, uh, a fire log. So you have to have something to, to get the fire uh, really roaring and then some kind of kindling. So I've got some like wadded up paper here um, and these things, uh, these things combust differently, okay? Uh, kindling lights up really quickly and it kind of flashes quickly and easily, but it dies very, very quickly, almost instantaneously. Like I tell you, the best kindling is a dried up um, branch from an old Christmas tree. Have you guys ever tried to, to light that before? It's like, like immediately just, just lights up very quickly. But what you really need is the fire log. This is what, once this is lit, it's, it takes longer, but once this is lit, it stays lit Longer and it stays, it becomes over time a roaring fire that the kindling could never do. Okay, so I want you to take these two things and I want you to imagine this is happiness, this is joy. This is the thing that, that we light and we get this burst of happiness, but it dies out so quickly. This is what we long for. Lasting and true, unwavering, unquenchable fires of joy. This is all our culture and our world knows about. We only know about happiness. So we buy a new thing and we light it and it goes out. So then we buy another thing. We keep pour, putting kindling on it. We're trying, to create a we're trying to create a bonfire which is putting more kindling. And so we have these addictions because it's like that went out so I got to put more on, put more on, put more on. And what we really want, what we really desire is joy. Now God can, there's nothing wrong with this. This isn't bad. And actually when we have this going, we can add some happy things in our life that are blessings from God. And that might um, just add even more fuel to the fires of joy. But these things go out quickly. This is what we're really after. And you say, how do I get that joy? Well, let me just show you how beautiful it is. I told you that some of these verses correspond. Let me just read to you again Psalm 111 verse 3. And then I'm going to read Psalm 112 verse 3 the corresponding lines. This is what it says. 111 says, full of splendor and majesty is his work and his righteousness endures forever. And then verse 3 and 112, wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. It's saying you want to know what is, what is beautiful and full of splendor? God is full of splendor. God is full of beauty and his righteousness endures forever. He gives us his righteousness did you see that? Through Jesus. Our righteousness endures to ever because it's from Jesus. 
and wealth and riches. What is the true joy that he gives us? What is the great treasure that we get, that we fill our house with? We get him. There's there's nothing that dazzles. There's no shiny new thing we could get that compares with the splendor of God himself. We get him. And what he's trying to do is light a fire of joy that no matter how much of this stuff we have, whether we have more happy things or less happy things, we have a joy, a fire. We have underneath the pursuit of wealth and riches. We have what that's trying to get, but he gives it to us through his raging, unquenchable joy. It's the joy of the Lord that is our strength, no matter what our circumstances are. He gives us something so far better. Why? Man, when we're, when we're awestruck by who God is and we release that in our life, our life is blessed. Or let me put it like this. There's one thing, one thing that can change your whole quality of life. One thing that can affect everything. Be awestruck by God. Have a robust view of how awesome God is. Release that in your life. And we're just a few lines in. Psalm 112 keeps going. All the ways of having a robust awe of God in your life, overflowing, it affects, it brings up your entire quality of life, the tangible things of your life. It lifts all of those things. Being all struck by God affects your whole quality of life. Here's what my desire is for, for these texts as we're studying these next couple weeks. Is that this isn't just like a shot in the arm kind of weekend and you're hearing this today and you're like, yeah, it's a good point. I'm, I'm inspired. No, no. Grab hold of this nugget. Grab hold of this nugget. And don't let it just inspire you for today, but take hold of it And let it transform your day, transform your week. Let it affect your next Thursday, your next week, the upcoming months, your life, this whole year. Grab hold of a commitment to prioritize your awe of God. Be awestruck by God. Well, what do I do? How do I I stir that up? Well, I realized um, earlier this week, you know, we've been online only as a church. This is week 10. Can you believe that? This is week 10 of being online only as a church. When I heard that, like, I was like, wow, week 10. Okay, so let's just take a time out. Let's just check in on each other. Week 10. How are you doing spiritually? You know, um, across the country, churches across the country, at this point in this whole journey that we're all on, churches across the board are recording a decline in their viewers on the weekend. And honestly, it's understandable. It, it, there's digital fatigue. It's hard. It's exhausting. I, I, I long for when we can meet here together, okay? Like, I, I had to have people on stage with me this week so that actually laugh at my jokes, and I'm not just here in an empty auditorium, okay? Like, we, we, we long for that time when we can come back together. City Rev, dig in. For your own sake, dig in because you want to stir up 
your awe for God because it affects every part of your life. Dig in. Keep it a priority in your life. Refigure out how to do it. Refigure it out with your family in whatever stage of life. Dig in. Stay consistent. Stay engaged for the sake of your soul so that you can be awestruck and let that flood into every area of your life. How about maybe you say, look, I, I am just feeling so spiritually alone. Okay, we've talked about this. It's time. If you are not in a small group, now is the time. Our small groups are all watch, are doing Zoom together and they're thriving. Go to cityrev.org slash groups. Sign up today. Take your phone out right now as you're watching this. I'm not going to judge you because I can't see you. I don't know if you're going to be texting your friends. Just take out your phone right now. If you don't, go on and sign up for a small group right now. You can do that if you have the CityRev app. You can do that right there on the app. If you don't have the app, go ahead and get the app right now. Get the CityRev app. Why? Here's another thing. You might say, look, it's been so crazy. It's so busy. I've been juggling all these things, juggling homeschooling the kids or working from home or worrying about my job security or worrying about things that I've just lost track of my personal spirituality. Dig in, City Rev, for your sake. Dig in for your sake. Release that awe in your life. Spend more time in the words and less time worrying. Why? Because worship is worshiping God, being awestruck by God. Worshiping God is what just absolutely quel squelches our worry. So spend more time in the Word. You say, uh, you say, how do I do that? Join our Word habit. We've got a, a, a Bible reading plan. We're in the book of Genesis. You can sign up on the app for it to be a part of Word Habit. You can go into the next, cha next chapter in Genesis. You're like, I don't know what to do with Genesis. Um, in our, our City Rev Life podcast, we did an episode about understanding Genesis. We did one on the SOAP method of studying the Bible. City Rev, dig in for your own sake, for the sake of your family, for the sake of our community. Let us be a people that is overflowing with awe for God. And let's watch how that impacts our life, impacts our families, and impacts our city. Dig in, City Rev. But there's some of you that are here and saying, look, I, I think I just need to start my relationship with Jesus. You know, one, one last thing here. Psalm 111 and 112 verse 3 it says he's full of splendor and majesty. And so we realize, man, our wealth and our riches, it's really God. But do you realize, it says our, our righteousness endures forever. Do you realize what it cost so we could be saved, redeemed by God so that we could have the, our unrighteousness removed and the righteousness of Jesus placed in our lives? treasure of heaven had to be expended. We've already been given the treasure of the universe. The blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was spilled on our behalf. That treasure is offered you as a gift. Just receive that gift of salvation today. Begin this relationship where you're a child of God and he's working in your life. You're living a life of perpetual awe of God. And he's stirring your joy and releasing all of those, the blessing of having a life of awe of God in your life. 
begin that relationship with Jesus. Just receive that free gift. You say, how do I do that? Well, you could just begin with a simple prayer. Just say, Jesus, I, I received that gift. In fact, I want to lead you in that prayer, wherever you're at. You might be driving in your car, watching on your phone, sitting with your roommates, sitting with your family members. Let me just lead you in a simple prayer. If that's you, you want to pray that prayer, just pray this right there, wherever you're at. Just say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Jesus, thank you for washing away all my unrighteousness. I believe you died and rose again. Now I want to live a life of awe before you. Thank you for saving me once and for all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, if that was your prayer just then, look, we want to know about that. And so right there on the screen, you see there's a place where you can click and say, yes, that was me. I put my faith in Jesus. When you click on that, that lets us know. We just want to celebrate you with you. That's very personal, but it's not private. It's something that we share together. And if you click on that, it's going to send you to a place where you can fill out a short form so that we can send you a Bible. We want to send you a Bible. Um, you can also, you can go to that same link and let us know you put your faith in Jesus by going to cityrev.org faith. That is probably in the comments there. You can just click on it. Fill that form out. It just gets a couple pieces of information just so that we can send you a Bible and follow up with you. We want to celebrate with you. Uh, we're going to um, spend some time in worship. Now, I'm going to invite the band to lead us in a few songs. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do, City Rev, wherever you're at. Take a second. Maybe you're there in your home with your family. Maybe you want to sit there and sing along or hear these words. Maybe you want to stand as a family and sing together. Maybe you're there with your roommates. Maybe you're driving in your car. Let's worship. Let's pour out praise to the one who is worthy of all our praise. So wherever you're at right now, let's worship God together. Let's worship together. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.